What got you there with got you got you What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney got you there with Shonda Laney What got you there with Shonda Laney On May 25th, 2001, Eric Weinmayer became the only blind person to reach the summit of Mount Everest. In 2008, he completed the seven summits, the highest point on every continent. Eric co-founded not merely an organization, but rather a movement called No Barriers. The mission is to help people with challenges, face barriers head on, embrace a pioneering and innovative spirit, and team up with great people to live rich and meaningful lives. Their motto is, what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. To this aim, Eric continues to challenge himself to live a no-barriers life, and in September 2014, he kayaked the entire 277 miles of the Colorado River through the Grand Canyon. Eric shares the story of his remarkable journey and how to get the most out of life. This episode will leave you inspired and ready to attack your life. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. I'm a huge fan of Audible and definitely recommend checking it out. If you're looking for a way to stay energized throughout the entire day, grab a bottle of Suniva Super Coffee. Suniva is something I drink on a daily basis. It's an organic bottled coffee blend with lactose-free protein and MCTs from coconut oil, which provides me with clean, all-day energy. Head to your local Whole Foods or use discount code WGYT at drinksupercoffee.com for 20% off your order. Suniva was founded by three college athletes who are brothers and wanted a cleaner way to stay energized throughout the entire day. Let's face it, we all want to look good in the clothes we wear, but I got tired of sifting through the racks looking for a quality pair of jeans that cost less than $300. Then I found Distilled. D-S-T-L-D, pronounced Distilled, offers premium denim and essentials at an affordable price. Their products cost just one-third of what other premium brands charge because Distilled refuses to work with middlemen, bringing savings directly to you. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. Eric, thank you for joining us on What Got You There. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Yeah, no, your your positive energy I know is going to get you through this call. You've had a busy day, so we really appreciate you jumping on. So I want to jump right into this. You have one of the most impactful stories of anyone I've ever come across. So I want to know, what has been the hardest day of your life so far? The hardest day of my life? I mean, I've had really hard days, you know, like the moments, you know, going blind or pursuits of like bringing my son Arjun home from Nepal. We adopted this awesome little guy who's now 15 years old or, you know, trying to put together this organization we call No Barriers and we went through a merger. Um, So, you know, positive mindset for me doesn't mean like you don't have bad days. You know, uh, I wrote a book my second book with this guy, uh, Dr. Paul Stoltz, and he's an amazing scientist. And his resiliency work says that, you know, the quicker you respond to adversity and the better you respond to it, that, you know, the healthier your, your response is, like the healthier and happier you'll be in the longer you'll live even. 
So it's really important how we respond to adversity. But at, at the same time, I used to arm wrestle him when we, you know, figured <laughs> arm him because I'm like, look, everybody, it's not like you stub your toe and blood is gushing everywhere. And you're like, what a great opportunity for, for growth. You know, it's like, no, I, you, these things lay you low, you know, um, uh, I was walking through the airport um, about a year ago with my guide dog and he didn't look up and uh, I bash into this like concrete pillar and I go flying back. My coffee goes flying out of my hands. There's blood gushing down my face. You know, I, you know, I'm not thinking, you know, you know, barriers are only in the mind, like all these like, you know, all these motivational postery type things, you know, I think. You know, I think it's human to have hideous days and feel like life is unfair and lay there on your belly kicking and screaming and railing against life. And, you know, and then you pick yourself up like Paul Stoltz preaches, which is great. You pick yourself up and you say, OK, how does this terrible thing or this tough thing that happened to me, if, the, if it's important to you, by the way, you know, like I'm a total slacker with things that don't matter to me, but like with the things that matter, I say, I pick myself up and I say, okay, how do I use this experience as energy, um, as fuel to power me forward to a place that I could have only learned about how to go there through this experience? I mean, I was so curious how you were going to answer that question because so much of life is is about perspective and you you alluded to your blindness. And then you said using the fuel and, and helping to inspire you. So I'm curious, let's go back to about when you were 13. Can you talk to my audience and, and let them know what transpired during that time? Well, I was diagnosed with this rare eye disease. It was like winning the lottery, but you know, the opposite, it's really, really rare. And, uh, so, what, so what's that like when you get that news that you have this rare disease? Well, I was so young, I was like four or five years old. And I remember my parents, there was no cure. They said I'd go, doctors said I'd be blind by a teenager. And my parents being really, really gloomy and sad. And it was almost like somebody saying, like, you're going to die. And I thought, oh, I, so I didn't really understand what that meant. So, you know, the brain has all these protective mechanisms. And, you know, so basically it just sort of blocks it out. It denies it. But, you know, the, the overall feeling is that you just feel overwhelmed. You feel sort of powerless you feel powerlessness you know and you know and it's funny because in the latest book that i wrote no barriers when i studied other people you know and almost everybody in the book had you know tough things happen to them not necessarily go blind but they you know they had trauma or they had things that made them feel stuck uh every single one of them for a time have this complete overwhelming feeling of powerlessness, being overwhelmed, just like I felt when I was diagnosed with this disease. And it's almost like you don't even know the brain is just overwhelmed by these events. So, so massively that you just, you don't even know how to respond. Right. And, and, and so, uh, that's, you know, I think that's, again, that's human. And, you know, so, so it's, it's like when we attack a problem, right? We, we feel overwhelmed, we feel helpless, we feel like powerless. And then we commit, right? We commit to attacking it in some way. And it's funny because it kind of releases an energy and and a potential within us. And then that becomes kind of fuel and it, and it, 
and it kind of creates like energy and purpose. And then we drive forward and we've taken ownership. We've taken control of that situation. Uh, so, so I think so many things start with like feeling completely overwhelmed. <laughs> how much, how much stronger of a person are you now because of that? Um, I think I, I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm stronger because I understand how the process works. You know, I know that it's not like super superhero, you know, villain, you know, uh, superhero world where, you know, you just like rip off your business suit and you got your cape and you go sprinting <laughs> off into the air. I know how the process works. I know how vulnerable, how fragile human beings are. And, you know, I, I have uh, empathy because like, you know, no barriers. We work with 5,000 people a year who have challenges, who have barriers. They're either physical or they're mental. They're invisible barriers like trauma or anxiety or fear, or doubt or you know, post-traumatic stress, all these things. And so I know what that prison feels like because I had a taste of it when I went blind, you know, just sitting there and thinking, God, like I'm so overwhelmed. What do I don't even know where to start? Like there, there's a brick wall around me and I don't know how to break out of it. And so if anything, um, it gives you a bit of empathy there. So, I mean, how did you break out of that brick wall? I mean, do you wake up one day and, and just decide that you have to go on, you have to prevail? No, see, I never lost hope. And I don't think people do either. You know, people want to have hope. They want to have optimism. But, you know, they go out and for one reason or another, they get stuck, you know, or they get shattered like I did. I felt pretty shattered. Um, and, and, and you're in a place that you don't want to be and you don't know how to climb out. And, you know, what's that catalyst that drives you, that gets you out of that prison and gets you back on track to being the person that you hope to be. Uh, for me, I mean, it was a variety of things. It was my family believing in me. It was, uh, you know, just realizing that blindness was bigger than me. I wasn't going to do anything about this. I, you know, I couldn't change the fact that I was blind and I was sick of living in suspended animation. Uh, so I said, you know, angrily goodbye to that, like, let that thing die, you know, stab it and kill it and be done with sight. And now uh, you move forward and you let new things grow in your life and in its place. Uh, and uh, you have to allow that process to take place. Uh, and and so once I let go of the things that I love, like basketball and baseball and seeing people's faces and all that stuff, uh, you know, there's there's hopefully you know, room for that other stuff to grow. Uh, I, uh, I was looking for opportunities for things that I could do still. Uh, I got this opportunity to join a group of blind kids on a recreational program. I said yes to that. Um, I, I learned how to use computers and use how, use a cane and learn Braille. And um, and they this group would take blankets like sailing and, and um, uh, skiing and canoeing and all this stuff, but they took us rock climbing one day and that was it for me. That was, <laughs> that was adventure because you know, all those other stuff that was cool, but it was, I mean, rock climbing was incredibly physical and problem solving. And in a weird way, it sort of gave me a kick, like not having my eyes, but my hands and my feet could become my eyes and I could scan them across the face in a way where I could sort of decipher the, puzzle in the rock and sort of solve that puzzle 
with my hands and feet and sort of uh, work my way up the rock, you know, um, by, you know, putting your body in all these crazy positions from point A to point B to point C. It was, it was so engaging and exciting, thrilling. Um, I, I just, I loved it and it, I never turned back after that. What senses are you most aware of when you're climbing? Um, feeling a lot of the rock under my hands and feeling the little knobs and, you know, dishes and cracks and pockets and all the little things that you're trying to connect. Um, when I get up high, I can also use what, what blind people call echolocation. Um, it's something developed by this guy, Daniel Kish, who's this blind guru. He's amazing. He's brought it to this incredible level, but you're, you can click and you can hear the echo of sound vibrations bouncing off of objects and coming back at you. And you can hone this. I don't do it very well, but, um, the first time I climbed, I remember hearing the valley below me and I could hear the trees. I could hear the wind. I could hear the leaves. Um, you know, it was just like, it was stunning. Yeah. The first time I came across echolocation, I think it was about two years ago. And I was, my mind was absolutely blown with, with what's capable from the human body. And can you, can you describe some more what that's like, how, how you're actually interpreting the things around you with echolocation? Well, I've actually done some work with Daniel Kish. He came out to Colorado. He'll put things in front of your face, like a, like a tray or something. And, and, and you can do this at home. You can, <laughs> you can actually close your eyes and have somebody put like a plate in front of your face and you'll, you can click and you can hear that plate because you will hear the sound vibration bouncing off that plate and coming back at you. It's a closed sound versus an open sound. So that's the way you can test this thing. Uh, I can walk down the street and I can hear, you know, if it's a car or a truck or I can hear trees. Um, I know this sounds um, maybe a little confusing to some people, but like one of the things that I always wanted to do was to, um, to connect with my house via the backyard. When I walk down this bike path, um, at a certain point, if you go left and you cut through a big grassy area and the little grove of trees and uh, you cross a little creek and then up a grassy slope, you can connect to the back fence of my house. But there's no environmental clues there like to tell me when to turn, like the bike path doesn't turn in a certain way or there's, not, there's nothing to tell me when to turn to my backyard, that shortcut. So Daniel and I worked on it and we were walking along. And he said, what do you hear to your left? And I said, and I was like, I think it's like a clump of trees to my left. And he's like, okay, we walked a few more feet. He goes, what do you hear now? Open space. He goes, great. The trees have ended. Now, what do you hear? And it was another clump of trees. Anyway, point being three clumps of trees later, he said, now, what do you hear? I said, open space. He goes, that's where you turn. So do you um, guys have any of your work together on video? Well, he's come out to our No Barriers conferences. We have this thing called the Summit, and it's uh, it, it's about a thousand people all coming together from from our participants and graduates to families and entrepreneurs and you know our sponsors and you know corporate leaders all coming together with this commitment of sort of coming together as a community and trying to figure out how to break through the barriers that exist uh, in our lives and uh, it's very powerful. And part of that is innovation, right? It's not like you just will to break through barriers, right? Like you have to actually think your way through them. So part of it at No Barriers, we call pioneer. And so Daniel Kish represents the pioneering part. He comes out and teaches 
uh, echolocation, or he actually calls it flash sonar um, to our audiences, our, our community. Oh, that is so cool. And you mentioned the technology. I want to get into that a little, bit, a little bit later. But for my listeners who are unfamiliar, I mean, you've done some pretty incredible things, such as climbing the seven highest summits in the world, kayaking the Grand Canyon. I mean, I know you said you liked climbing, but how does that progress to then climbing the seven highest summits? Well, I read a book called The Seven Summits. It was a guy who was the first guy to climb the seven summits, the tallest peak in every continent. And uh, so my it was my friend, Sam Bridgem, uh, who was a substitute teacher. I was a teacher at the time. I taught fifth grade English and math. And the substitute teacher was a climber. We were out climbing on the weekends and we got really pretty good. Like we were really into it. And he said like, Hey, let's try something bigger. And I thought, what? And he said, how about Denali? And that's a lot bigger than a rock climb. I mean, <laughs> so I'm sort of like a linear thinker, you know, I don't think I'm the most creative person in the world, but I definitely am. Uh, I'm impressionable. Uh, so Sam, who's this guy, he has attention deficit disorder. You know, his brain is like leaping around, right? And um, <laughs> so he just leaps to Denali. And I'm like, that's a big, giant, snowy 20,000-foot peak in Alaska, dude. That's like, I know nothing about snow and ice and all that. And Anyway, so my linear brain then got to work and started creating the plan. And we went around the country climbing, learning how to, you know, be roped together and how to pull people out of crevasses and how to set up tents and cook meals on stoves and navigate with my pole and ice axe and listening to a bell, somebody jingling in front of me and all this stuff that you got to learn. We didn't summit anything. We summited zero. Um, but, um, we felt pretty prepared because we had been through so much in our year and a half of training. And, uh, yeah, we went to Denali in 1995, if you can believe that's a long time ago. And, uh, 19 days later we reached the summit. Um, me and Sam and my other partners and uh, Chris Morris, our guide. And uh, um, it turned out to be Helen Keller's birthday when we stood on top that day. Get out of here. That's crazy. I know. It's really weird. <laughs> What's the moment like when you and Sam get up there? It was amazing because Denali was the hardest thing I'd ever done. Like it broke me. Like there were days I would cry in my tent. Like, like I am just not cut out for this life. Like I'm not tough enough. I'm, what was so hard about it that would break you? Uh, well, you? You're pulling a giant sled that's maybe 50 pounds and you're carrying a pack that's maybe like 50 pounds. So you got 100 pounds of gear basically on you. And that's not the worst part. But the worst part was not being able to see. I would often like slip and slide off the, you know, kind of beat in trail or there would be like boot holes that would freeze. And so my feet would be slipping and sliding constantly into these deep boot holes. And sometimes those boot holes are like shin deep. And so you'd fall into them and then your shin would just hammer forward into the sort of surface blade of the ice. And um, so my shins were battered and my feet were blistered. And uh, I'm carrying this massive pack that just felt like it was squishing my internal organs. And, uh, you know, yeah, there were days where I'd get to my tent and I like, I just go in there and be alone and just like cry because I was like, I just, I don't think I have this inside me. I'm not tough enough. Uh, the crazy part is then the other side of you is like, I want to do this forever. Come on <laughs> this. Like, I want to do this. This is like, I want to grow this thing inside me. Uh, and you're worried, you know, because you know, like you hear these stories about, 
Um, like this lady who summited Denali, she, it was her dream to summit and she pushed herself to the absolute limit. And then she just turned around and she got like a hundred yards down from the summit across this section called the football field. And she just fell over and died in the snow. And obviously nobody's trying to do that. You know, nobody's, you don't want to push yourself to that point of where you just fall over and die in the snow. So it's like, what is that limit that you push yourself in a healthy way, you know, uh, where you have some reserves to turn around and uh, get down safely, you know, because it, you know, it makes for great literature, these disaster stories on mountains, but it's, it's not really for good living. I mean, talk about coming down. I mean, that's, that's harder than going up, isn't it? 90% of accidents happen on the way down. Uh, so you want to, you know, you, you got to be really careful on the way down because you're, you're exhausted. And if you fall down the mountain, going down the mountain, you cartwheel down the mountain. If you fall on the way up, you're facing into the mountain and you kind of fall into your, you know, into the mountain and you can, you can stab your ice axe into the, into the snow and stop yourself. But yeah, it's the, it's the falls on the, on the descent that, uh, are dangerous. So the Eric before Denali and the Eric after, are you two completely different people? Well, yeah, because you realize that suffering is a part of life and, uh, and, and, you know, it's not like I'm looking, I'm a masochist, I'm looking to suffer, but you, you grow that capacity to suffer. Uh, me and my friend Jeff did an adventure race together. It was a nine day experience where we're, you know, biking and running and, uh, we, I'm on a tandem bike and caving and climbing and rafting and kayaking, blah, blah, blah. Just like another dozen sports for nine days. You only sleep a couple hours a night because you're trying to move with minimal sleep. And, uh, you know, we would just like be, you know, hours from a summit, you know, still climbing and climbing. And we just laugh, you know, we just laugh. You learn to you, you learn to grow that capacity inside you. You know, after Denali, I remember sitting in the igloo and thinking like this crazy, rugged, you know, world of ice. Like I've sort of taken that in a way and it's inside me now. Like nobody can ever take that away from me. Like something has grown inside me and I will like, I'm kind of forever changed because, um, I know what, what, what I can do, what I can endure. Like I know how temporary, you know, this physical suffering is. Um, it, it was, it was, uh, quite empowering. What's your self-talk like during those toughest times? Well, I think I'm like everyone, you know, and I write a lot about this in no barriers, the new book, um, you know, it's just in full disclosure and full honesty. I think we all have as my friend, uh, um, um, this friend Christian, he's a friend of mine. He says, uh, you know, it, like you have these squatters, these squatters, like in an, an abandoned building, you know, they're like those squatters are in your brain and they're just like annoying, annoying little entities that just try to talk you away from what you want to do. And essentially what that is, is your brain, your brain is trying to protect itself, trying to protect you. You know, so you have all these protection mechanisms and uh, your brain's calling you down from the mountain, you know, uh, and I've seen it so many times, you know, people just get, you know, like they, they lose will or they, you know, all the th reasons why they shouldn't be there, uh, become very, very evident and they're gone. And it's, 
because their brain is in pain, their brain is suffering, they're fear, fearful, uh, and, and, and now all those reasons why they shouldn't be there take on all this weight and begin to collapse. And, uh, and, and, and in, in Everest, when we were there, the Sherpas, they have a quote, they say, uh, they say the nature of mind is like water. If you do not disturb it, it becomes clear. And that's, you know, what they're talking about is like discipline of the mind. Like you, you fill your brain with so much clutter and crap and distraction and fear and second guessing uh, that, you know, that all takes on a weight and and pulls you away um, that you have to sort of uh, still your mind, clear like water and keep pressing forward. You know, there's a point to second guess and there's a point to like, you know, you know, worry and be fearful and all that stuff. But then there's a point to let all that stuff go and just have awareness in your mind, you know, be hyper aware and translate all that uh, fear into a kind of profound awareness. And you're just there. You're just there. Like there's nothing, there's no barrier between you and the experience that you're having. And it's, you achieve that from time to time. And it's really quite powerful you kind of look for it again and again after you've experienced it once or twice today what got you there is being fueled by soniva super coffee soniva provides an organic bottled coffee blended with lactose-free protein and mcts from coconut oil for all day energy grab a bottle at your local whole foods market or use discount code wgyt at drinksupercoffee.com for 20 percent off your order Are you looking to finish the latest thriller, such as The Girl on the Train, while you're at the gym or in the car? Well, now you can. For listeners of What Got You There podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check this out. Head over to www.audibletrial.com forward slash what got you there to choose from over 180,000 titles to select the book you want to hear next. Distilled utilizes the same fabrics, factories, and wash houses as the best-known brands and designers while skipping the markups and middlemen. The result? Top-quality denim without the retail runaround. Just go to dstld.com and see where minimalist design meets maximum comfort. They have a 100% fit guarantee, offering free shipping and returns until you find the perfect pair. Inspired by the creative class, Distilled is the perfect brand for those who have other things to think about besides getting dressed. You'll look good no matter what with Distilled. Distilled has been featured in Forbes, Time, and TechCrunch, as well as on denim-clad celebrities in GQ and Men's Health. You can find the brand's amazing selection of outwear, leather jackets, t-shirts, and more using the same principles of high-grade materials at low-end cost. Distilled is your answer to elevated style without elevated prices. Just go to dstld.com right now and use the promo code JOURNEY10 in all caps at checkout to get 10% off your first purchase. So you talk about experience and looking to new things. How do you go from, from doing all these climbs to next kayaking the Grand Canyon? What, what inspired that for you? Uh, it was partly... PV, our team leader on Everest, I was coming down from the mountain. It was, I was really crushed. You know, you're pretty tired and got down through the Kumbu Icefall, which is um, kind of a blind person's worst nightmare. And PV said to me, he said, Eric, you know, do me a favor. Don't make Everest the greatest thing you ever do. And it was pretty shocking because I was like, well, first of all, that's probably the greatest thing I'll ever do, PV. 
And what he was saying was, you know, there's so many moments in your life that are pivotal, you know, and those things can sort of be the crowning moment. You know, they can, you know, you hang your trophies, you hang your pictures up and you place your trophies up and then that room becomes kind of your funeral. And, uh, you know, don't, don't let this be your funeral. Like let this be a catalyst to more growth and learning and, you know, moving forward in some really cool way, even though you may not know where it's going to lead you, everything becomes a catalyst to something new, uh, rather than being the thing where you pound your chest and go look at me. Okay. Now I can go sit on the couch for the next 50 years. In preparation for our talk today, I, I wrote that quote down and I just found myself staring at it and just the impact it has. And it truly makes you ask some questions about what's next and, and what you're going to challenge yourself with. I'm curious for you, what do you have next lined up? Well, you know, I walk this fine line because a lot of specific climbers, you know, they just keep doing bigger and bigger and harder and scarier and riskier things and they wind up dying. So I think there's an unhealthy way to look at the what's next question. You know, it's like as a blind guy, you know, I remember after Everest getting all these uh, uh, invitations, like people are like, come run with the bulls and Pamploma. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to be gored with a, by a bull? Like that has no meaning to me. Uh, or they're like, you know, you know, I wanna, I'm going to shoot you out of a, you know, a cannon and you're going to be in this Velcro suit and you're going to stick to a wall. And I'm like, that sounds so stupid. You know, I don't see myself as like the next evil Knievel. The things I do in my life, uh, they have to have meaning. They have to have purpose. You know, I have like two kids. I have a beautiful family. So the things I choose, they have to sort of have some authenticity to me. And one of the things I really wanted to do was to learn to kayak. Um, you know, I was really fascinated by rivers. They were so different than mountains. I was really intrigued by it. And I had the motivation to learn you know, as a blind person, you don't really understand things like by watching them. So you have to sort of put yourself in the middle of it. And rivers just so incredibly different from mountains. You know, they have an energy all to themselves. And I was fascinated by that. So I learned to kayak so that I could experience this incredible natural wonder of the world, the Grand Canyon, you know, walls that are thousands of feet tall and the, you know, these rapids that are you know, 20, 30 foot tall rapids that are hammering you left and right. It was, it seemed like a, an incredible adventure. And I thought so many times through that process, just like back to Denali, like I, I'm not cut out for this. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the person that people think I am. Like, you know, I, I don't know if I can actually rise to the occasion here, you know, like there's a lot of doubt and fear, um, in my own, uh, mind. Can you talk to the logistics of how you even do that? Well, I have a, I'm in a kayak and my friends are behind me. Uh, sometimes there are people out in front too, but for the most part, a guy behind me and he's yelling out directions via these high tech radio systems. They communicate through Bluetooth technology. They communicate in almost real time. Cause I mean like even a second delay in a rapid you know, he's yelling a command and then a second delay. And then I'm processing that, you know, now it's like, that's an eternity. So I'm already knocked over, um, by the wave of the rock. So, um, so we had to find radios that communicate really quickly and reliably. And so they're yelling small left, small, right. 
hard left, hard right, charge, which means charge into that rapid because, you know, you're about to get destroyed or um, hold your line, which means just stay on track. Uh, so pretty simple stuff that we uh, developed. You, you mentioned your friends and I want to know a little bit about trust. I mean, there must be a tremendous amount of trust you have both in them and them in you. Can you speak about that? Yeah. One of the things that I learned pretty early on was as I went blind was, you know, I, I was really fearful of relying on people because, you know, you don't want to be a beggar, like people looking down at you and just like, you know, I, I, there's, it really messed with my ego. And I don't mean like ego is always a bad thing. Like all of us have sort of an ego that we want to uphold and just people looking down at me like a beggar, just really, it just hurt me. And, uh, and over time though, I realized that every team has a kind of interdependence and you have to trust each other. You have to develop trust. You have to put your life in people's hands. And in return, you ask them to put their life in your hands. And that's an amazing feeling. It's not like people looking down at you like a beggar. It's a totally different animal of creating these teams where you are in each other's hands. It's, it's super profound. I mean, I, you kind of look for that kind of trust in, in, in your life um, always afterwards. And uh, so as a blind person, I have to have teams I trust. Uh, when I look at my life and the accomplishments I've had, um, people give me a lot of credit, but they don't, you know, pay attention enough to my teams, to the guides who are not only kayaking themselves down a huge rapid, but they're navigating a blind guide down that rapid. Or my friends who are not only climbing Everest, but they're guiding me up that snowy face and sort of watching out for me in my footsteps. Uh, that's amazingly powerful and i couldn't have gotten there without that team and you know i look at like when i ski um i'm skiing with a guide he's out in front he's yelling turn a left turn a right or just hop 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 and you know we're in unison and we're like a almost like doing a dance like you were together as we're flying down the mountain and i kind of think like this is a different sport than like what a sighted person does i'm skiing I'm getting down the mountain, I'm climbing the mountain, whatever it is, but I'm doing it in a different way with this team. And in a way, it's like a really powerful experience. Yeah, that's truly just absolutely amazing. Just thinking about skiing down the mountain and being in perfect unison there. And along the, the theme of the team, what about the routines just in your everyday life? What, what does your morning look like? How do you get around all of those things? Well, I, I run a small business, you know, where we speak and coach and have endorsements and all this and write books and make films. And so it's a really awesome life. I'm very lucky. I'm very spoiled. Uh, and uh, uh, so I, I wake up and I train a, a lot of times. Uh, I have, you know, for every, you know, five minutes here in the mountains, there's hours of like endless, mindless training. Uh, so I'm doing pull-ups. I'm like doing typewriters, you know, on a pull-up bar. I'm hanging by my fingers on a fingerboard. I'm climbing in my rock gym. I'm, I have a uh, climbing wall outside called a uh, tread wall. It's like a hamster wheel, but it, it's a climbing wall. So it's like rotating as you climb. I'm doing CrossFit type stuff. I'm running on my step mill or on my tread wall. I mean, my treadmill, um, you know, just endless training. So I train every day for a couple hours. Uh, and then, um, 
And then I'm, a lot of days I'm getting outside to, to climb, to practice my craft of rock climbing or ice climbing or skiing, um, or being in the, in the mountains. Um, so, and then I actually have to work sometimes too, because <laughs> I have to write a ton of emails and do a lot of thank yous. And then there's all the interaction with no barriers about a 13 years ago, I found, I co-founded this organization, No Barriers. Uh, I might've mentioned we work with about 5,000 people a year, people with different challenges. And so I'm on the board now of that organization. And, uh, and, and so that's a tremendous amount of work, like kind of trying to uh, plan the future and plant the seeds of the future for the organization. Yeah, what you have going on with No Barriers is incredible, and we're definitely going to get that linked up in the show notes. I definitely want the listeners to check that out and see the amazing things that you guys are doing and the amazing people you're working with. I mean, you mentioned how hard you train physically to to accomplish these tasks. How do you recover from those workouts and those training seminars? Well, I, that's a question yet to be determined, how the body responds as you get older. I'm 48, so I'm still hanging in there, but you know, training hard casualties happen. I have a busted finger. I broke my rib on my last climb. I fell off this. Um, I felt I was on a rope, but I, I fell a long way and swung out and slammed into the ledge and broke my rib. So yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, you're doing these really big things and, um, it does take a toll on your body. There's a lot of wear and tear. So it's choices that you're making. Um, but, um, I divide workouts into one, like, you know, there are workouts like a, you know, climb, like a huge climb where you're just beating the hell out of your body and there's no way around it as a blind guy. But then there's a lot of feel good workouts too. And I say, am I, am I, am I like doing a driving hard, like make progress workout or am I doing a feel good recovery workout? Feel good recovery workouts are like yoga, really, really terrific for healing. Uh, sometimes I'll just get on my spinning bike and I'll spin or I'll climb really easily on my wall just for the sake of movement and breathing and trying to sort of recover and find some peace in your mind. So yeah, and I think it's perfectly acceptable and fine to be able to just have a a nice gentle recovery workout. That can even be a walk with your spouse, you know? Do you focus a lot on your breath work? It's something I've been trying to incorporate more and more, and I'm just thinking that you're probably someone who's so in tune with things like that. So I'm curious if you're doing that a lot. I am doing that, but I'm not that great at it. I've taken some <laughs> workshops and it's really hard. I have friends who talk about, you know, really just like the, a new sort of uh, strategies to breathe in and out of your nose. Uh, these things are really hard for me. Um, I did in kayaking do a lot of proactive breathing where you breathe in for a, you know, seven seconds and you hold it in and then you breathe out again, even longer. It's like a slow breath out and this kind of proactive breathing. And, uh, I found that pragmatically it helps incredibly to, um, be able to hold your breath underwater. Um, we would, uh, drive through this mountain tunnel. Um, if you're lucky, you can get through in two minutes. And, uh, it was a fun game to proactively breathe. And then see if you could hold your breath for two, two and a half minutes as you drove through the tunnel. Um, I told the driver not to do it, but the rest of us uh, <laughs> would, would would do that. And it, it helps incredibly. Oh, yeah. Some of the some of the breath hold times when, you, when you're doing that active breathing is, is just tremendous. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. So someone I've heard you talk about before is Terry Fox. Can, can you talk a little bit about Terry Fox, what he means to you, and a little bit about his story? 
Yeah, and I started my book, No Barriers, with Terry Fox because he was so important in my life. And not just because he was a cool guy, but because he taught me a lot of of sort of the principles of No Barriers before it really even had a name. And Terry had cancer. He lost a leg to cancer. And it was soon after that that he decided he was going to run across Canada, like a marathon a day, thousands of miles. And at first, nobody cared, you know. And then somebody heard about this one-legged guy wobbling across Canada and um, people started showing up and then 10 and a dozen and 20 and 50 and a hundred and a thousand thousands of people were showing up for him. And uh, he raised a dollar per Canadian uh, for cancer research. I think since he died, his legacy has raised maybe almost a billion dollars of cancer research. And I, and I thought, you know, when I watched him in his story, I was going blind myself. And, you know, he he ha- had this counterintuitive behavior, you know, like you're trained somehow to get stimuli. If it's bad stimuli, then you shrink and you run and you protect. And why did Terry do the exact opposite? That was so counterintuitive to me that somehow I don't know it was almost like the way I look at it is like there was a space and he was able to see that space between the things that happen to you and the way you're supposed to react and in that space he sort of was very determined and could make this he could tap into something deeper than most people tap into most people are just sort of reacting and responding and you know staying at the surface and Terry tapped into something so deep and he took sort of something out of that and like converted sort of a darkness into into vision into into energy that that he used in his life to propel him forward uh and and i and i thought that's that's sort of the root of everything that i want to model in my life um and and a lot of the principles of no barriers came out of that that sort of counterintuitive behavior of tapping into something really deep inside and trying to grow that thing, uh, you know, and, and, and trying to sort of equip yourself, your inner self, um, for the journey ahead. You know, when we take people on our, what we call our expeditionary or transformative journeys, uh, we get at first people really focusing on the mountain, on the river, you know, all the experiential things that we're doing as a team. But uh, what, what we, I constantly tell people is like there's an inner life, there's an inner expedition going on inside of you that you should equally be paying attention to. You know, um, you know like when you kayak a river, I'll give you the, the example, all this energy is happening on the surface. But really it's being, that energy is being created by all the stuff happening from deep under the river, all the boulders and drop-offs and all the things that are way down there. And, and that's the way... I think our lives are, you know, we're, you know, of course there's behavior and on, on the surface and, and that's our awareness. But beneath that is, is what's, what's creating all that energy and all that behavior and all the, you know, self-sabotaging behavior sometimes that we, and defeating behavior, it's all beneath the surface. And so what we tell people is like, stop with the sort of, you know, um, um, path of least resistance thinking. Sometimes the the greatest growth in your life is when you dive in 
and and uh, and, and to the path of most resistance, and you try to grow that thing. Uh, but it's really hard to teach people um, things that seem counterintuitive at first. Um, but 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 we're making our way, and we're seeing a lot of change in people's lives when they when they focus on this stuff. You can hear it with the conviction in your voice and the impact that Terry's story had on you. Do you think that you never found his story when you were going through this, that your path would have led to where you are now? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I don't know. That's such a fundamental piece of everything. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I did have great role models in my life, and I've met some other people like Terry over the years. But, uh, a, a lot of the pioneers – and a lot of the no bears people that have become ambassadors do also do the same thing in a similar vein as Terry. Like I've met blind painters. I mean, John Bramblett, who's, uh, he just had his, uh, he's one of our no barriers, uh, presenters that, that we've come into contact with so many times. He, he's a blind guy who paints. He just painted the side of an airplane. Um, he's such a good professional artist. Uh, Mandy Harvey, who's on America's Got Talent, um, she's deaf and she is an incredible singer. She sings by this beautiful, perfect pitch that she hears in her mind. Also, a ton of practice, by the way. Um, you know, like you know, and then people that don't have any disabilities, because that's most of the world who perform what at No Barriers we call alchemy. It's sort of this idea of of uh, taking difficult things. And using that as fuel to propel yourself to a new place, and we see this constantly in, in people, uh, and and so it's something that people can can model in their own journeys. Can you give a specific? Is is there one that comes to front of mind for you? Um, yeah. Um, uh, I'll give you an example. Like, uh, there's this guy named Andy Parkin. and um, he, he's he he's been a part of our no barrier story. He was. He went to one of our summits. He's a famous artist in Europe. And he was also a climber. He happened to be a climber. And he had a pretty bad accident where he didn't think he would ever walk again or even climb again. You know, it's a typical story. You know, he, he really got smashed up. And um, he was in the hospital. And he was so bored that he, he started up with this childhood hobby that he had that he had never really pursued. And it was painting. Uh, and so they would push him in his wheelchair to the to the window and he would paint the landscapes outside. And as he got a little bit stronger, he would take these cable cars up to uh, to to a place where he could paint the mountains. He thought that's as close as he would ever get. And through painting, he rehabbed himself slowly and surely getting closer and closer to the mountains, climbing higher and higher up the mountains, studying the mountains, painting them. He now, you know, paints a mountain. And once he paints all the detail that he can muster in his mind, he knows he's ready and he'll go climb them. And he not only, in, you know, did he, did he start climbing again, but he now became a painter. So in this pursuit of, you know, he, you get broken, you get stuck and you think, okay, the thing I love, the thing that I, pursuit I wanted, I'll never do again. But in your pursuit to find your way home, you discover something totally new. You birth something completely new inside you. And so he became 
uh, and finding his way back to climbing, he became a painter. And now he makes a living as a painter. He's one of um, Europe's most famous painter. He has all these studios and he's in huge demand. Um, and, and that's all because he went through this sort of torturous process of, uh, of being broken and finding his way sort of back again. I mean, that's incredible. I, I didn't want to put you on the spot there, but I just love hearing stories like that. And I knew you were going to have something for us. So I appreciate that. I'm curious. I've heard you talk about the story before about you running the sand dune with your son. Can you just talk about that and what you learned from that? Well, so I brought my son home from Nepal. He's a, he, he was in an orphanage in Nepal. And um, my wife and I were thinking about adding to our family and, you know, long story, but we decided we'd adopt out of Nepal. And we, it was a two year process of, you know, just this roller coaster trying to bring this little boy home. And some days we thought we'd never be able to achieve it. Um, and I wrote about that in no barriers, but, um, you know, so AJ, like all of us, Arjun, he, he came home with some baggage, you know, just some, some learned helplessness, you know, that, that obviously you learn in an orphanage, right? You're just sort of, surviving you just sort of put this protective coat around you and so the story that you're referring to we were on a river trip he we brought him home about three years and he was in soccer uh season so he's really fit we were running up a sand dune we were there was nothing in my way so it was really fun i could just <laughs> run up the sand dune and you know he should have been way fitter than me and um and i gave him i slowed down as we were racing and i gave him a chance like come on buddy and he just looked up the steepest part and he stopped. And I, I, before I knew it, I'd run over the finish line and he had just sort of stopped. And, and I thought, okay, that's like challenging my notion of human beings. Like I thought what you're supposed to do is like Rocky Balboa and, you know, the Rocky movies, like you're supposed to like uh, come back in the 15th round and you're supposed to, you know, tap into that thing and then, you know, beat the champion. Right. And you, that's the way it's supposed to work like in the movies. But instead AJ, you know, had stopped. He'd fallen. He just stopped. And I, I couldn't understand that. Like it really sort of like violated my principles, uh, you know, and I didn't like give him a hard time or anything, but I just, it really confused me. And I remembered this study that I'd done uh, in my grad, grad school as a middle school educator. And it did a study with kids that, uh, you know, quote unquote, kids who with good self-esteem, high self-esteem and kids with low self-esteem and the ones with high self-esteem, you could give them compliments and, and encouragement and they would use that as fuel and they would go forward. And the kids with low self-esteem, you'd give them encouragement and they, they wouldn't change like their test scores, you know, their pursuits wouldn't really change. And it was partly they determined because those kids, um, they they just thought okay that like you don't know me you don't know what i have inside like i don't have anything to give and if i give if i try harder and i fail that's going to shatter my like the little bit of self esteem that i have so why go through the hell of trying something and giving 100% that if i you know when i'm going to fail anyway so why why start and I thought about that and it was like, yeah, okay. So all of us have a bit of that, right? I remember, you know, in the Grand Canyon, um, as you know, I, w I went on a practice uh, kayak down part of the Grand Canyon before the big trip and, and being so scared and thinking, okay, am I scared of like dying or drowning? Or am I scared that like, if I give everything I have, 
uh, and I still fall short. Like, and maybe I realize that I'm not the guy that I wanted to be. So maybe it's safer to like quit now. And I thought, oh my God, I'm exactly like my son. Like we're all part, we all have some of that, right? We all have that where we don't want to challenge our psyche. We don't want to challenge that vile record of the mind. Because if we fall short, if we find out we're not the person that we wanted to be, then it shatters that identity. And I think for a lot of us, that's the greatest fear that we face. And it's all the fear of not being the thing that we wanted to. And so Arjun and me are pretty much the same, all of us. Yeah, no, <laughs> thank you for sharing that. I think that so many people are going to hear that story and a light bulb was just going to go off for them and, and understand we all have a little bit of that in us. And I feel like you've done such a good job in, in overcoming so many things and, and going past that. So I appreciate you sharing that story. I'm curious, though, what are you most passionate about in your life right now? I'm most passionate about the no barriers work that we're doing, uh, growing no barriers, making it a household name. Um, we're going to take some big risks this year. We're actually, we've had our summits always in, in, in mountain towns and we've drawn about a thousand people, but we're going to go to New York city. Um, and that's like, you know, the epicenter of culture, you know, a lot of the cities, San Francisco, LA, New York, Chicago, you know, we figured if, if this movement is going to get out of the fringe category, we got to get in people's faces. So we're going to go to the epicenter of thought and culture and media, go to New York city next October. So, um, you know, instead of a thousand people, maybe we'll have 20,000 people and we can grow this thing faster. And, uh, and, and I think it is a message that all of us need right now, you know, instead of sitting around, you know, blaming and reacting and, and, and attacking, I think what we got to do is sort of focus on a little more, no barriers in our lives. Absolutely incredible. And we have a, a ton of listeners who are on the East Coast. So if they want to get involved with that and no barriers, how do they do that? Well, it's a year off. So um, so go to nobarriersusa.org and you can learn all about the organization. You can learn about our programs. Uh, as, I, as mentioned, we work with, with veterans and youth and, um, and not just, you know, people with physical challenges, as I said, but, you know, first, first generation Americans, kids in the foster care system, kids who face poverty kids who have lost parents to war, um, you know, women and men who have had sexual trauma, just, you know, all these challenges, all these barriers that we face that, you know, you, you almost can't categorize them. We're all in a great big club. Well, we are definitely going to make sure to get that linked up in the show notes along with your books. They are some incredible reads. I highly recommend them. So Eric, I can't thank you enough for joining us. You, you provide strength for everyone who knows your story and you're having tremendous impact. So keep on doing that. We can't thank you enough for joining us today. Awesome. I loved it. What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with Shonda Laney? What got you there with Shonda Laney? Uh, what got you there with got you, got you. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Got You There. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes and also share with your friends. Thanks so much. Looking forward to talking with you next time. If you want to stay up to date on all things I'm working on behind the scenes and everything we've got going on at What Got You There, head over to whatgotyouthere.com. You'll also be able to see more on podcast guests and what they're doing. Thanks to Justin Great for providing us the intro and outro song. If you like his music and want to find out more about what he's working on, head over to justingreat.com.